morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out and turn them to 1 Samuel, I'd appreciate that. We looked at last week, 1 Samuel and Hannah and his and her husband, Elkanah. Uh, Elkanah uh, Hannah wanted to have a child, and she couldn't have a child. And uh, she asked God to give her a child. And she already dedicated that child to the Lord. Uh, before the child was even born, before she even could have a child, she dedicated that child to the Lord. We just finished uh, a, a couple of weeks ago uh, a series called Important Values, and one of them was we live to serve. We're going to look at that value again this morning. In other words, to live, to be selfless, to be selfless. I read a story of a young man who wanted to get married in the worst way, and, uh, but he wasn't having much success, so he called his mom up. And I know it's Father's Day, but he called his mom up, and who not to call my mom? and said, Mom, what am I supposed to do? I have a girlfriend, but we're not even close to getting married, and, and said, what am I supposed to do, Mom? And his mom says, here's what you do. You send her some flowers, then you invite her over to your apartment for a home-cooked meal. That'll fix it. That'll make everything right. So uh, she told her son that, and she waited to hear back from him, see what would happen. She didn't hear anything from him, so she finally called him and says, well, how did everything go? He says, it, it was a disaster. I took your advice, Mom. It was just a disaster. But she said, well, did she come over? Oh, yeah, she came over. But she refused to cook the meal. So we, so we, you're supposed to laugh. So we live to serve. The message this morning is service to God. We're to serve God. This is our second message from this series. The time period of 1 Samuel is what we're in. It was, was the time period of the judges was just ending. And during the per time period of the judges was, they had no king, the Bible says. So there was these cycles of God that God would go through. He would declare, give revelation. They would be obedient. The children of Israel would be obedient. There would be apathy. There would be disobedience. And then God would bring judgment. Then God would call another judge and reveal. The whole cycle would go over again. And this cycle continued over and over and over again. And every story of a new judge starts a new cycle through the book of Judges. Every time you see a new judge, a new cycle starts all over again. So you get to the end of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. The SV says, In those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Seems like much like today in our, in our world. So it was an immoral situation. There was all kinds of selfishness going on, uh, on at that time. Much like we have today, right? We see that today. Uh, we live in a very selfish world, don't we? How many of you ever drive on the interstate? I know some of you have talked to you don't like to drive on the interstate. But you drive on the interstate all the time. I'm, it seems like I'm on there going someplace. And you're on the interstate either right now an accident happens or a lot of construction in the interstate. And when that happens, they close down a lane, don't they? And they ask the traffic to merge. And sometimes you see people in there let people in, merge in their lane. But there's some people, you just look at them, they, they keep their car right up to the bumper behind them, right? They won't let the person in. And I want to say, let the person in. But we live in a very selfish world. Live in a very selfish, me first attitude, very selfish world. Uh, they did at that time as well, lived in a very selfish world. We're going to find out in the passage that we look at today, God is going to show us a contrast of people is what he's going to do, a contrast. And let me say for the purpose of application, anytime we're, we're talking about and studying God's chosen people, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, oftentimes people, when they look at Israel, the Old Testament, they want to kind of look at America today. They want to, especially us living in America, we want to look at America today. And the temptation is to take the promises and blessings that, that we're applying to Israel, that God was given to Israel, and apply them to our country. You can't do that. You can't do that. 
Uh, Israel in the Old Testament was God's chosen people. They were chosen for a purpose. They were chosen for a reason. There's this ancestry together as being Jews, and they were surrounded by the community of their faith. And what they were, they were a theocratic monarchy, much different than what we have today. Today we have a democracy. We have a republic. So, so much different. So you can't align the two. And yet you look at the situation and say, hey, was, there, there's so much immorality going on. Does anybody know God? Does anybody love God? Does anybody care about God's purposes? Does anybody want to be obedient to God? Is there anybody out there? And then all of a sudden, out of the darkness of time, God sent a glimmer of hope to a lady who wanted to have a baby, and she couldn't have a baby. And she prayed that God would give her a baby. And she said, God, if you give me a baby, I promise to give that baby back to you that he may serve you all the days of your life. She dedicated her child. And, and if you don't know that, that's where we get baby dedication from. We do baby, baby dedications here at the church. Uh, before a child is old enough to give a profession of faith, we, a, a parent will bring their young child up and they'll dedicate the baby to the Lord. It really has more to do with the parent because the child's too young. It's the parent coming and making a commitment say, I promise to raise my child up to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Because the child's too young to do that, right? But to Hannah was born, who was born? Yeah, Samuel, Samuel, the book's written, Samuel. And Samuel was to be a fresh and clean instrument for God to use. And Eli was the high priest of that time. And so Samuel was given perhaps at the age of three years old. Think about that. Three years old. Hannah and Cain, her husband, uh, came up to the festival at Shiloh. It was the spiritual capital of the world at that time where the tabernacle was, where the tent of meeting. The NIV talks about where the temple was. Representing the presence of God was there. And they would come up there on a yearly basis, and they would worship God, and then they would offer their sacrifice unto the Lord through the priest. And this is probably about the third year after Samuel was born, Hannah brings Samuel there with her, and she comes before Eli, and she kind of reminds Eli, remember me? I was the one that you thought was drunk, but I wasn't drunk. I was praying that God would give me a child. And now here's the child. Now I'm giving him back to you for you to raise him. Please mentor him, take care of him, and I'll be back next year at the next annual feast in Shiloh to see him. Can you imagine it? At three years of age, think about that. Around that time period, she gives her son to the Lord, to this man, Eli, the high priest. You raise him. You take care of him, and I'll see him once a year. Let me give you a little background of the story that we're going to look at today so you understand what's happening. Eli's the priest. A high priest before God had to dress a certain way. And the details are given to the, us in Exodus chapter 28. He had to wear a long robe, a white robe, and at the bottom of the robe would be kind of a uh, he would have alternating pomegranates and, and bells. And you say, why would he have bells? Because uh, the high priest once a year would have to go in the uh, holy of holies before God, only once a year, and they would tie a rope around his waist. But before he could go in the holy of holies that once a year, he had to confess his sins, had to confess the nation's sins, and also had to confess his family's sins. So when he went into the holy of holies that once a year, as he's moving around, those bells would be ringing, and they knew everything was fine. If those bells stopped ringing, that they knew that God had struck him down, either because he didn't confess his sins, forgot some sins, or he did something wrong in there. And they couldn't go in there and get him in the holy holies because they weren't allowed. They'd be struck down. So only they could do is grab that rope and pull him out there uh, to get out of the holy of holies. And, and he also wear an apron. And on that apron he would wear would be an ephod, would be four rows of three stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then that apron would have these shoulder straps, and each one of those shoulder straps would be a stone on each shoulder strap. 
and the six names of one tribe would be on one stone, and six names of the other tribe would be on this shoulder, to say, you bear the weight of a nation on you. You are the spiritual leader of this nation. Very heavy, very, very serious. And then he also, the high priest would have this uh, kind of hat that he would wear as a white turban kind of hat, and they would have a gold plate on that hat, and it would be in Hebrew, but it would be translated, holy unto the Lord, right up there. And that's what God expected, the high priest to be holy, to live right before God. That's what he expected. Eli had two sons. Uh, his two sons were named Hophni and Phinehas. And then there was Hannah. God gave Hannah a son, and her son's name was what? Samuel. There you go, Samuel. His name was Samuel. And, and Hannah had this boy. She gave this boy to the Lord. And now Eli, the high priest, was supposed to mentor him from about three years of age on. So Eli's sons were supposed to be heir to the high priesthood, and their names were uh, Hophni and Phinehas. The only problem with Hophni and Phinehas, they were scoundrels. They were not good guys at all. In contrast, you have Samuel was probably a lot younger than them, and so you will find out the text is going to go back and forth from talking about Hophni and Phinehas in contrast to Samuel. We're going to see this. It's going to talk about those two guys, Hophni and Phinehas, and in contrast to Samuel, we're going to look at that. Samuel was faithful. Samuel was a servant. Samuel had a servant's heart. Hophni and Phinehas, the Bible calls them wicked, extremely selfish men. You, 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 you found that they were in ministry uh, to get what they could get out of it, not what they could put into it. So the nation was struggling. They were self-serving. They're a self-indulgent nation. In the midst of it, we're called to serve the God, just like today. We're called to serve the Lord in that. We're called to stand out. And there's two things we need to do to, to make that happen. So if you have your outlines, two things to do as servants of the Lord. And the first one is this. There's only two points this morning. Fight spiritual apathy. We need to all fight spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy can happen so subtle in our lives. Or you can say fight lukewarmness in following Christ. We could also say that. Let's read verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Uh, the English Standard Version translates it this way. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Is there anything else you need to know about Hophni and Phinehas? That's really all we need to know about them. The Bible tells us that they were wicked men, had no regard from God. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord, right? They did not know him. Matter of fact, they were being wicked men. It says the end of chapter 2, what we find out, that God tells uh, us what's going to, tells us ahead of time what's going to happen to them. He tells Eli that your two boys are going to die on the same day because of their disobedience to me. And he says, I'm going to raise up a servant of mine that's going to live and going to serve and lead according to my heart and according to my mind. And that's a description of all those who are going to serve God, that we serve according to God's heart and according to God's mind is how we're supposed to serve. But notice what happens in verse 13 and 14. He says, Now it was the practice of the priest with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice— while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought out. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Now, let me stop there. This is totally legitimate according to the book of Leviticus. That was legitimate. The people would bring their sacrifice. They'd bring it into the Lord, the sacrifice. And the priest was able to go to that sacrifice and take a three-pronged fork and take out whatever he got with that fork, take it out for consumption for him and his family. That's how he provided for his family. Totally legitimate. That's the way God provided it. But notice what happens after this is not. Verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, 
the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. Verse 17. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So these two men, Hophni and Phinehas, they disobeyed the context of Leviticus chapter 3 and chapter 5, where the fat of the offering of the burnt, burnt, was the fat of the offering to be burnt up unto the Lord. And they weren't supposed to take any raw meat, any meat with blood. But they were doing, very early in the boiling process, they would go in and put their fork in there and take meat out while the, while the fat was still on it. And if anybody objected to it, say, hey, don't do that, they would say, I'm going to take it. If you don't like it, I'm going to take it by force, is what the Bible is saying. They took it by force. They, they made the whole sacrificial system just a farce, is what they did. And the Bible says it was held with contempt. And what that means, they, they, they had no respect. They disrespected God. They had no reference, is what they were doing. And they weren't honoring God in any way with this. And so these people who are supposed to be, remember on the top, holy unto the Lord is what they're supposed to be. Holy unto the Lord. Live holy lives. They were supposed to be representing these people to God is what they were supposed to do. And, and bringing these people's sins and asking God to forgive them. But they had their own sins. And we know they didn't even know the Lord. So how could they ask for other people's sins to be forgiven when they didn't even know Jesus? They didn't even know God at that time. But notice in contrast, here's the contrast. We heard about Hophni and Phinehas, how they were like. Now the contrast, listen with Samuel. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. You, you ladies, moms can appreciate this. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. Verse 21, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Doesn't mean they all came at once. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. So God blessed Hannah with many other children, right? Five other children she had, right? We see that. The point is, we all need to fight spiritual apathy in our world today. In the midst of a self-serving world, in a self-indulgent world, we need to serve the Lord. We can do that in so many different ways. We can serve Him, but spiritual apathy can sleep so easily in our lives. It does. We get so distracted by things. When we get busy, we get distracted, and when we get distracted, all kinds of things happen. Amos chapter 6, verse 1 says, A woe to you who are complacent in Zion. Because while we're complacent, we let down our defenses. Because while we're complacent, we let a lot of things go that we should hold on to so strongly. We begin to compromise our walk with God, their walk with God, our walk with Jesus. We begin to compromise and let things go. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. Woe to you who are complacent or lukewarm in your walk with Jesus today. And so many of us are, are like that. The problem with being lukewarm is we don't even know it many we think we're on fire, we find out we're not. So we have to examine our own hearts. This is a lesson for all of us. First of all, I want to make an application kind of for someone like me who's, who's kind of in full-time ministry. We're all in ministry, but someone who's called to kind of lead a church as they were called to lead the nation and stuff. This is not the way you're supposed to lead. Hophni and Phinehas had the title of spiritual leaders, but they were not spiritual leaders. They didn't even know the Lord. And unfortunately, there are people in ministry that you read about in the newspaper, you hear about all the time, uh, the people in ministry are in it for their own selfish gain. 
to get what they can get out of it instead of what they can put into it, right? What a contrast to Samuel was, what we find. You can learn a lot about the different layers of leadership with an apple. And I, I meant to bring an apple, but forgot an apple, by looking at an apple. And the first layer of leadership that you look at, if you could look at leadership, would be competency. And that's the layer that we all see. That's the layer of an apple that you see on the outside. And that's what you look at an apple. It's that part that we take and we shine it up and it looks so good. And we judge an apple by, boy, that looks like a really nice, red, delicious apple. That's what we all see. And the Bible says that's the part we think that's so important, that man looks on the outward appearance. And where does God look? God looks on the heart. But we look on the outward appearance and say, boy, look at that, the competency. Look how good they are. Look at that. That's, the, that's where all your businesses and your churches and Christian organizations, they spend a whole lot of money uh, to uh, send people to conferences, to hone their skill, to develop their competencies, to learn new competencies so that they're really, really good. Because the outside is what we look at. Says, you got to be good. So we want to make you the best you can be. It's that competency. It's that outer core, out of, out of the appeal of the apple that we see. But if you peel that competency away, if you took that layer off, the, the peel of the apple, there's another layer that is more important than competency, and that's the layer of commitment. Have you ever seen people that are really gifted but without commitment? Have you ever seen athletes who have so much raw talent, but it's just wasted talent because they don't have the commitment to develop it? They don't have the commitment. And, and so commitment is so, so important, isn't it? But if you had your choice between a committed person or a person who is gifted that don't have commitment, take the committed person every time. Take the committed person. Don't take just the gift. And that's what competency is, the gifts, the outside. We look at that. And yet when you cut away the, com the commitment layer of leadership, you cut that away, you cross another la layer that's very important layer. It's more important than uh, commitment. That's the level of character. We all look at character. When it comes to pastoral leadership, the Bible gives us two complete chapters about uh, uh, the, the character issues. And you find that there's probably 18 or 19 different character quali qualifications that they, they give in the Bible. And, and probably the top of the list, as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, where it says this, he must be a man above reproach. It means blameless. doesn't mean perfect. If it did, I wouldn't be up here, guys, because I'm not perfect. But what it means, above reproach or, or blameless, just means not justifiably accused is what it is. And, and it goes all the way down those 19 character qualities. And all character qualities except one. And the one that's not a character quality is the one able to teach. An elder has to be able to teach. Different than a deacon or deaconess, they don't have to have that, but an elder has to be able to teach. They have to know the Bible well enough uh, to know the difference between right and wrong, uh, good and evil, truth and, and heresy, and have to be able to communicate the Bible in a very effective way. doesn't matter the age group. It could be children, could be teens, could be seniors. doesn't matter the age group, but they have to be able to uh, uh, communicate the Bible in a very effective way. These are the character qualities that are have as, as leaders, as leaders today. Have you ever hired someone in your place of work or, or seen someone hire someone that have A-level talent but have C-level character? Am I the only one? I mean, have you guys ever hired or seen somebody hired like that? And you see that what happens to C-level character will always be exposed and outshine the, their, 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 their quality of, of commitment or any of those others, their talent. It will cause all kinds of difficulties in relationships, ethically, uh, there, that you go around, it doesn't matter how much talent they have, that goes to the side because you're just cleaning up messes. Just constantly clean up messes. I've been in a couple churches where they've had that, and it seems like we're just cleaning up the messes behind them. The talent doesn't matter if you don't have character. You have to have character. But if you cut away the character, 
There's another layer of leadership that's more important than character, and that's the core. It's the core of the effort. Because that's who we are. It's our innermost being. It's what's most important for us. For my core, I'm, I'm a child of God. God. I'm identified by Jesus Christ. I'm identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm identified as his calling my life to ministry, right? And, and some pastors find their identity and their capacity. So if the church comes to them and says, we don't need you anymore, their life's kind of over. Even though that's hard, but our, our identity is not found in our title. Our identity is found in our core, amen? It's found in our core. There have been times when I preached a message and I thought, man, I could have done that a little bit better. I could have brought this out or brought that out or something. Or maybe I have a conversation with, with someone and I look and I say, boy, uh, that conversation, I should have been more alert in what they're saying. I could have said this. I could have said that. I, I could have been more compassionate. I could have been more understanding. I could have been quicker to respond or something like that. In any time that I'm evaluating my capacity and performance, the Holy Spirit reminds me, Doug, you're not a child. You are a child of mine. And no matter what your performance is, it doesn't affect your core. That's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. You should be saying, amen. It doesn't affect your core. It doesn't matter about our performance and my capacity. It doesn't affect my core if I know Jesus Christ, which is so important. And that's true for all of us who know Christ as our Savior. You may get fired from six jobs in a row and be the worst kind of employee, but that's not who you are. You are a child of God, and God loves you, and it does not affect your core in Jesus Christ. Amen? It does not affect us. That's so much today what we see is going on even with uh, suicide. Uh, you see that's going on, and people are taking their lives in our, in our culture right now for the littlest reasons. And if they hear someone else take their, took their life and they know them, it seems like they want to take their lives. And they, don't, they forget who their core is. Our core is who we are. And our core is we are made in the image of God, right? We're made in this image. And it is not right to take our own lives. We can't take our own lives, God, because we're made in his image. We have no right to take that life that God has given us. They're making in this image. We need to come back to our core and understand who we are. We need to get the help that we need. If we're having that, so we need to watch out for each other. If we see anybody that's kind of getting depressed or anything, where they feel overwhelmed or anything like that, we need to come alongside. That's why we need to interact and be praying for one another and be in communication with each other on Sunday morning, make sure everything's going all right. But those times when I'm asking myself about my performance and questions, God, about my performance, the Holy Spirit reminds me, comes to me and reminds me, says, Doug, I've called you to this. I'm with you in this, and you're going to do all right because I am with you. That's what makes the difference, not me. It's God is with me. And the same thing with you. Whatever God has called you to do, you're going to be all right in this. You're going to do fine in this. Why? Not because of you and your competencies and all this, because your core, God is with you. Hophni and Phineas were rotten all the way to the core. All the way to the core, they were rotten. And, and, and if I haven't said this already, let me say this. So we understand the core is the only part of leadership that we can reproduce it's the only part it's who we are it's the only part of discipleship that we can reproduce right the dna comes from the core and who's the core jesus say it loud who's the core it's jesus the only part when a person accepts jesus christ their savior that core they now receive that core of jesus the holy spirit lives within them and that's what god wants to produce that kind of character christ-like character he don't want my character to go to someone else he wants jesus character right so we reproduce his character what he wants but all of us can learn from this all of us that we must serve the lord but we have to have the right motives even though we live in a very selfish world that's not become part of this world let's not act like this world just because the world is doing it say we've got to do it too let's not do that Let's serve the Lord with everything we have. But we have to serve him. We have to serve him. In a sense, we're wanting to honor him. 
wanting to be obedient to his word, and fighting spiritual apathy. As I said before, fighting lukewarm following Jesus, and it happens so easy. Jesus warned a church in Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. He says this, you are neither hot nor cold. And he's saying, what he's saying, you make me sick to my stomach that I want to vomit you out. You make me sick because you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves that I'm not on fire for Jesus anymore. And if I'm not on fire for Jesus anymore, we're probably lukewarm. And so many times we don't see it. And you find a lot of people, oh, I'm on fire for Jesus. But when you get down, we need to step back and kind of evaluate our lives and say, am I really on fire for Jesus or am I fooling myself? Am I just going through the motions? Or do I really have a zeal and vigor for Jesus that I really love him, they're really passionate about him? We need to ask ourselves that, that question. The second thing to do as servants of the Lord, we have to resist moral corruption. Moral corruption. Let's read verse 22 through 25. Resist moral corruption. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? Hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours, so everybody knew about it. No, my sons, it's not good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him, but if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, won't, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. So Eli's old. He probably couldn't see, but he definitely could hear, and he heard the stories that everybody already knew. The Bible tells us they already knew them. Israel, the whole nation of Israel heard about what they were doing, and that your two sons, who are supposed to be representing God and representing these people to God, were taking advantage of their position by abusing women. Now, these women weren't prostitutes, as, as you might sometimes think of prostitutes, the ancient cultic past. These people were serving the Lord in the tabernacle in Shiloh, where the presence of God was honored. They were servants. They were serving the God like many of you. They want to, you want to serve God. They were serving the Lord. And these two men used their position to violate and abuse, is what they did. And the Bible tells us in Numbers 32, 23, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. If you're sinning, sooner or later, God's going to have it revealed. And you may think you're getting away with it, but other people see what you're doing. Like these two guys, they must have thought they were getting away with it, but the whole nation knew what they were doing. They saw it. And so we hear today, women, and I know it can be men, they say, you know, five years ago, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it may be, this Hollywood producer, this person on TV, this person on the radio, this person in that set, some religious leaders, none of us are immune, they took advantage and they abused. And, and, and these people who are me first, that out of their selfishness, what they did is they view other people as things to be used and things to be used, rather than they were made in the image of God and therefore they are to be honored. Every one of us are made in the image of God. Every one of us, we're made in his image. And every person, human being, is to be honored. We're to look at him like that. Not to abuse, not to use them. And so these two spiritual leaders, Hophni and Phinehas, could not have been more corrupt. And you son of man, God was really harsh. Now you see why God was so harsh. Could have been more corrupt. Eli does challenge them in the next few verses, and what we find out is, what is this I hear? What is this you're doing? But Eli's a high priest, and they're his sons. And later on, it talks about that he failed to restrain his sons. And you would love to have a, a couple verses, or a few verses in there where, where Eli would talk to his sons and says, Hey, Hophni and Phinehas, we've got to talk. Is it true what I'm hearing, that you're abusing people? 
If it is, you're done. You're done as priest. You're not going to do this unless you go and confess it to God, get before him and confess and pour out your heart, and go before the nation and confess it and offer the sacrifices. Otherwise, you're done. You don't find that confrontation. He confronts them. He challenges them. But he doesn't come where he, he challenged them to repent and to change. That's what they needed to do, repent and to change. But they weren't willing to do it. We need to resist moral corruption is what we do. All of us do. All of us do. It, Proverbs 14, 12, our memory verse says, There is a way that seems right to man, but at the end it leads to death. Such a powerful verse, such a truthful verse, that sometimes when we get so busy, we get distracted, we start to compromise God's word. We start to compromise God's word. We start doing things our own way. Ah, you know, the Bible says that, but if I just do this, it's not, hurt. it's not hurting anybody. No, the Bible doesn't say that. There seems a way that's right to a man or a woman. In the end, it's going to lead to death, going to lead to destruction. Let me share this. Anytime that you and I do anything that's contrary to God's word and contrary to what God wants us to do, and not sometimes, it always leads down to dead-end streets, hurting someone or hurting others around you. Always does. Not sometimes. You said, if I've been doing this for a while and it hasn't, give it time, it will. It always does. That's what the Bible gives us a promise. You do what you want instead of what God wants. It's always going to lead down to dead-end streets, difficulties and troubles and problems. It always will end up hurting people around you or hurting yourself. It always does. And that's what Hophni and Phinehas were doing, hurting all kinds of people around them. In contrast, it says of Samuel in verse 26, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature in favor with the Lord and with men. Does that remind you of Luke chapter 2, verse 52, when it talks about Jesus? It says the same thing. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Constantly compares. Samuel's supposed to be a picture of Jesus. It's supposed to be a picture. Came as a baby to save a nation, redeem a nation. Jesus came in to save a world, right? I mean, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But Samuel and Jesus lived the kind of lives that we see, this authentic kind of lives, committed, following God, authentic following God is what we see in their lives. And Jesus would go on to serve, and he would serve in such a way, always putting others first before himself. Always did that. Every time you see Jesus, always put everyone else first before himself. Never took advantage of anyone. And whether it was healing a blind man or raising the dead, or comforting a woman who was caught in adultery, he always put others first. Even the night before he's crucified, he's down on his knees, and he's washing the feet of his disciples, wasn't he? And you say, that should be reversed. They should be washing his feet. But Jesus always turned the kingdom upside down. Whatever the way the culture was going, whatever the way that they were doing, Jesus turned it upside down. No, this is the way the kingdom of God is. The Bible tells us in Mark that the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was washing the feet of those he knew who would deny him and who would betray him. But he washed their feet. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. He loved them so much. And then he went on and he died on the cross, died on the cross for their sins, but died on the cross for our sins, for all of our sins, right? And so my question to you is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you know God? Hophni and Phinehas did not know God. They did not know God. And their lives were miserable, and they made the lives of miserable of, of the people around them. And today, their life is miserable because they're spending an eternity apart from God where they deserve to be because of what they did, right? And we all deserve that. By, by the grace of God, if you know Christ as your Savior, uh, you've come to put your faith. We're saved by his grace. But my question is, do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? I, I'm asking an honest question. Not that you want, you, you want to say what you think you should say, but do you really know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? 
If not, give your heart and life to Jesus today to understand that God loves you, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, right? And, and we need to come to understand two things about Jesus, who he is, that he's the son of God, that he's God, and secondly, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he took your place upon that cross. He was your substitute. He died for your sins that separate you from God. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. Jesus died for you. And now you and I are to respond to the grace of God by putting our faith and trust in Jesus, by accepting what he did. That we come and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and now I accept that finished work, his payment on the cross for my sins, and I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you have questions, please see me after the service. Please do that. But all of us, if you know Christ, let's just serve him. Let's just serve him. Let's, in this self, selfish, self-indulgent world, let's cross with the cross. Let's be different. Let's serve him. Let's serve him with joy and gladness. Let's serve him that way. So we have to fight against spiritual apathy. We have to resist moral uh, uh, corruption. Let me just say, our world, many people want to follow the world the way the world is going. Because they're saying here, the whole world is doing it. That's the way the nation Israel got into trouble. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Is because we look at the world and say, well, everyone else is doing it. Look, the majority is doing it, so it must be right. I, I can challenge you in the Bible. Anytime you find the majority was doing something that was usually wrong, they went against the contrary to what God was doing. We can't follow the majority what the world is doing because everyone else is doing it and we have to do it. We have to follow what God's word says. We've got to follow what his word says. Not because the world is doing it, their culture is doing it, and it seems like the world is going that way, so we have to get on board. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. We follow God's word. That's when we get in trouble. We start compromising God's wor word, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes because this looks right. I'm going to follow this way. And the Bible tells us. It tells us ahead of time. I can tell you where your life's headed. If you're doing what is right in your own eyes, it's going to lead to destruction. It talks about death, but it's destruction. It's going to lead down to one-way streets, broken alleys, dead alleys down there, all these kind of difficulties are going to come my way. God calls us to live according to his word. That's why he gave us this. This is how I want you to live, according to this. Not according to the culture, not because our culture right now is really big, running one way, and it's one way, all about gender and everything else. We know what the Bible says all about that. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. We know what it says about us. That God made us male and female, right? We can't get caught up in the culture, what they're saying. I mean, it's male and female. And we're to be married as man and woman, right? A man and woman coming together to be married for life. That's what God has called us to. We can't start looking at what the culture's saying and run with them because the world is going there. It doesn't matter if they're all going there. We're the only church. We've got to stand strong, right? So we don't have spiritual apathy, and we resist moral corruption. When we get so busy, and we get so distracted, many times we start putting off God's word, and we start to do that. We get spiritual apathy. We get lukewarm. And we start to compromise and doubt God's word. And that's where we get into trouble. So the only way to keep from that is you and I to fix our eyes upon Jesus. It talks about in Hebrew. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. We've got to be that Christocentric. We've got to put him first in everything, in all of our decisions. Not what the world is saying, not what our culture, not what our friends are saying, but what God is saying through his word to us. We've got to live by this. Amen? This is so important, guys. We've got to live by this. Because right now, young people, right now, you're being influenced by so many other people that are trying to tell you, do what the world does. Go astray. Go away from this. And you know the enemy's behind. Go away from this God's word. We have to stay uh, as good stewards of God's word and follow him in all of our ways. Amen? So we have to fight against spiritual apathy and resist moral corruption. Amen? Let's pray. 
Lord, you come and we praise you. We praise you because cause you are good. You are so, so good. And Lord, we thank you so much for the life of Samuel. We thank you so much for the life of Samuel that is contrast to Hophni and Phinehas, who were wicked to the core, were rotten to the core. But you show us Samuel, Lord, a life that we can live. And Lord, even better than that, you show us Jesus, who lived the perfect life, perfect in all his ways and modeled it for us, Lord. And then he went and he died on the cross for our sins. And we're so thankful for that. Because without Jesus, there is no hope. Without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. That we're saved by God's grace through Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, we all say hallelujah for that. It's all because of Jesus. So Lord, this morning I ask for all of us, Lord, that we examine our own hearts and see where we're at. If we don't know Christ, put our faith and trust in Christ. If we do know him, examine our hearts. Lord, we come lukewarm for Jesus. Are we not on fire anymore? Lord, if we're, we're not, convict us of that, Lord. But let's not beat ourselves up. Let us confess it and get back up and say, God, today I'm going to commit my heart and mind. If we're in some kind of moral corruption in our lives, Lord, we're doing things that we know we should not be doing. Lord, today, confront us. Holy Spirit, convict us and help us to ask for forgiveness. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. doesn't matter what we've done. God promises to forgive us, a great promise. Not maybe, he promises. That we right now, Lord, we not wait till tomorrow, not wait till after, where we right now confess it before you and ask for your forgiveness and receive the forgiveness that you so graciously give to each and every one of us because of your son, Jesus, died for that sin upon the cross. He paid the penalty already for us. So you can offer us your grace and forgiveness and mercy because of Jesus. And Lord, that we come with an unbended knee before you, ready to worship you, being thankful because we only have forgiveness of sins, all because of Jesus. We only have hope of eternity, all because of Jesus. We only have this life, all because of Jesus, and the family of God, all because of Jesus. And as moms and dads and dads today is, is his Father's Day today, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, no matter how we've lived our life, no matter if we, we've been the greatest dads in the world, none of us is perfect. Maybe we haven't been such a great dad. Lord, we come today and realize Heavenly Father is perfect, and he chooses to love me no matter what I've done, and he will forgive me, and he starts a new day today. Today's a new day for all of us. And I pray that for each and every one of us. Lord, be glorified in our lives. As we examine Samuel's life, Lord, let us just see how you used this young man from a very early age. Lord, he becomes such a powerful leader for the nation of Israel and what he does. Lord, we, we see the way of Hophni and Phinehas is not the way we want to go, not the way we want to be viewed, not the way we want to be remembered. It's not the way we want to live our lives. But we want to live more like Samuel and we model after Jesus. So, Lord, we ask that you would examine our lives. Lord, we ask all these things in an amazing name. In the name of Jesus, amen.